We are in John 14, 12 through 31. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask my Father, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, and when the world will see me no more, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who has sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to be with the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, and I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to have all of you here in the room. Also good to have you if you're joining us online. It is so, so good to be back in the same room after um, being semi-nomadic for a year and split into two services. Um, I'm excited that we all get together, uh, together in one place here at Waverly Belmont Elementary. Those of you who have been with us for a while know that we're studying through the uh, New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John. We've entitled our sermon series, Believe, because that's John's expressed purpose for preaching or for um, writing this book. My expressed purpose for preaching it to you is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that through believing, you might find life in his name. Now, we will preach topically from time to time here at Fellowship Nashville, but our standard mode is to take whole books of the Bible and teach through them. So, so these, these larger texts can speak for themselves, but then there's another purpose, and that's so that we can't skip the hard parts of the Bible. We want to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God. We believe deeply when, in the words that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. 
and for training in righteousness. So we'll, that's what we do here at Fellowship. We focus on the, the Word of God, and we go through big chunks at a time. And here we are a little bit more than halfway through, about two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of John. Over the past 10 months, we've been leading up to this point, and we're, here we are at John chapter 14, where Jesus is having a very intimate and personal conversation with his disciples. This is the night before he'll go to the cross, okay? The, the, the Last Supper has just happened. He's just shared the Passover meal with the disciples. He's just washed their feet. He's begun to teach them about his imminent departure, and the disciples hear him say these words, I'm, I'm going away, and they begin to freak out a little bit. And so with John chapter 14, we have Jesus calming the hearts of his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled, guys. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he begins to speak words of comfort to them. We looked at three of those statements of Jesus summarized from the text from the beginning of John chapter 14 last week. First of all, say these with me. It's going to be okay because this isn't your true home. Secondly, it's going to be okay because I'm not abandoning you. Thirdly, it's going to be okay because through me, you're in an authentic, loving relationship with the God of the universe. This isn't your true home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. Remember the marriage imagery that we talked about last week about a a groom going away, building on another room on the house of his father's house, and then going back and getting his bride, the wedding feast, and then taking the bride back to be uh, with him where where they could live uh, together. That's the imagery here. It's romantic imagery. It's intimate relationship imagery that Jesus is using. Hey, guys, don't freak out. I'm just going away to prepare a place, and then I will come back for my bride, the church. It's going to be a cave because I'm not abandoning you. I am coming back. I am coming back. And it's going to be okay because through me, you're an authentic, loving relationship with the God of the universe. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the self-expression of the Father. And if you know me, you know the Father. And that's not religious exclusiveness. It's relational personalness that Jesus is communicating through that phrase. I am the way. If you've seen me, you've seen God. When God wanted to communicate his love, he sent me. And so to know God is to know me. And now beginning with verse 12 of John chapter 14, Jesus is going to continue comforting and encouraging his troubled disciples. So really today is part two of last week's message. So if you missed last week, go go back and listen to it. And we're going to be considering three more comforting statements from Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's going to be our outline today. Three more comforting statements from Jesus. But before we dive into our text, I'd like for us to briefly revisit our vision as a church here at Fellowship Nashville. Now, this may seem like a sharp left turn, but bear with me. I'm going to tie this in, okay? We haven't rehearsed or talked about our vision in quite some time. But it's pretty simple and can be summed up with with three phrases I'll get to in a second. Our mission defines why we exist, okay? Answers the question why. 
And our mission is the great co-mission with Jesus to make more multiplying disciples of Jesus. That's what Jesus commanded us to do, and so that's what we're going to do. That's our mission as a church. Every church out there has a mission statement, and it's some reiteration of the Great Commission. So we've just made the Great Commission our mission statement here at Fellowship Nashville from Matthew chapter 28. That's our mission. Our values answer the question, what? What are we about We are a gospel-centered church in the city, for the city, seeking a city above. But our vision answers the question, where? Where are we going? Where is God leading us? What are we praying about? What are we hoping that God does through us as a church? What's our hope of where we're going by God's enablement? And we rolled out this vision in the fall of 2019, summed it up in these three phrases. Say them with me. Reach one, send two, plant three. Reach one, send two, plant three. Let me talk or explain what we mean by that for those of you who haven't, weren't with us back in 2019. Reach one. By God's grace and enablement, we're praying that God would use each of us, every single believer here at Fellowship Nashville, to reach one person each year with the good news about Jesus. All of us have unique spheres of influence. And we're praying that God would use us as touch points with pre-believers, as I like to call them, to reveal the love of God and the truth of the gospel. As we studied the book of Acts together back in 2018, we clearly saw that the gospel that has come to us is meant to flow through us. We're not to be gospel containers, rather we're to be gospel conduits. There's a difference. And although we are only a church of about 200 people, We have a footprint in our city that goes far, far beyond that. Why? Because the church isn't a building. Who is the church? It's not rhetorical. Who's the church? We are. You know that little nursery rhyme you might have learned? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, see all the people. It's theologically incorrect, okay? This isn't the church. The people are the church. The people are the church. If you're Baptist, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, If you grew up in Baptist Sunday school, you know that. If you didn't, you're like, that's weird. Don't worry, okay? Um, You're better off not knowing it because it was theologically incorrect. You know, fewer and fewer people in our culture will experience the gathered church, Fewer and few people are coming to a church gathering. But perhaps every single person in our city can experience the church each and every week. Why? Because the church is a people. And we take the truth of the gospel wherever we go, where we live, where we work, where we play, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, We take the gospel with us, so we're meant to be gospel conduits, not containers. Our tiny church has the opportunity to be the living proof of a loving God to thousands of people each week. And we're praying that God would use each of us to reach one person with with the gospel each year. That's our prayer. That's our vision. That's what we're, we're asking God to do through us. Secondly, we're asking God to raise up and help us send two people from our congregation each year to cross cultural boundaries for the sake 
of the gospel. Those of you who are with us when we studied through the book of Acts saw how the early church sent out missionaries to extend the reach of the gospel, to cross those cultural boundaries. We saw the gospel break through those and God work in miraculous ways in the early church. And we believe that he can still do that today and still does that today. And our desire is to be a reflection of that in the 21st century. My friends, we're not going to measure our success at Fellowship Nashville through our seating capacity. We will measure it through our sending capacity. So reach one, send two. Thirdly, plant three. Our prayer is to be used by God to multiply and help plant three gospel-centered churches, either here in Nashville or around the world. Research shows that new churches, church plants, are inherently better, more effective at making reproducing disciples of Jesus, which is our God-given mission. That's why we exist. So that's why we put church planting in our vision. So in summary, our vision is to reach one, plant, send two, plant three. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you feel perfectly adequate for this? I'm not raising my hand. I was just asking. I feel totally inadequate. Can we accomplish this vision on our own and by ourselves? I'm seeing a few no's, and that's correct. No, we can't. Unequivocally, no, we can't. We can't do this on our own. My friends, doing this on our own, in our own strength, on our own power is like um, charging the gates of hell with a squirt gun, okay? It's not going to go well unless God shows up. Without supernatural enablement, we don't stand a chance of fulfilling this vision as a church. But with divine enablement, now that's a different story. And that's why what Jesus says to his disciples here in verses 12 through 31 of John chapter 14, which Tay just read for us, it's so very important for us to hear, to learn, to understand, and to apply to our lives. Now this passage is a fairly long section that's notoriously difficult to outline. Because Jesus skips around all over the place. He circles back on thoughts. But keep in mind that Jesus isn't giving an organized lecture here. <laughs> no, he, he, he's speaking words of comfort to the troubled hearts of his disciples. He's lovingly responding spontaneously to their questions. So trying to impose an outline on this text on the, that the, contains these heartfelt words of comfort from Jesus is like trying to use a spreadsheet to write a love letter. It's really awkward. Chris, take notes. Don't use spreadsheets to, to write love letters to Emily. I know you're tempted. <laughs> so instead of going verse by verse, like I typically do in, in a narrative like this, I, I'd like to skip around a little bit this morning if you'll give me the freedom. Today's message is going to be really like skipping a rock across the top of a deep lake. Okay, there's some depths in this passage that we don't have time to plumb this morning. So we're going to skip along the top and hit the highlights together. And I'd encourage you to go back later after we've talked about this, read it over a few times, study it a little bit deeper. But let's dive in together with verse 16. 
verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Remember that Jesus is comforting his disciples' hearts here. He's announced in chapter 13 that he's leaving them. They're troubled. They're worried. They're fearful. They don't know how they're going to get along without him. But Jesus wants them to know something, and that's this. It's going to be okay because I'm not leaving you to fend for yourselves. Say that out loud with me. It's the first point in our outline. It's going to be okay because I'm not leaving you to fend for yourselves. Guys, don't get freaked out. Okay, Don't get your loincloths in a wad here. I'm not going to leave you alone in this world. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, this word translated helper in our text is a notoriously hard one to translate. It's the Greek word um, paraclete, parakletos. It's a compound word formed from the word kaleo, meaning to call, and para, meaning alongside. And so, in a sense, it's one who's called alongside to help. The English word helper doesn't quite capture the fullness of the word, so you'll see various translations use words like comforter or advocate or or, um, counselor. You know, if I were making my own version, the MIV, Mark Irving version, I might use the word enabler in in the sense of one who empowers, okay? One who empowers. A paraclete is someone who encourages you, who enables you to do something that you cannot do for yourself or on your own. Um, This week, um, Emma, my my youngest, she's 12 years old, and um, we have some tall kitchen cabinets, so we keep our bowls in one of them on the second shelf up. And, and bless her heart, um, she's, she's not as tall as her older sister. And she was reaching, and there was some stuff on the counter. So she normally just hops up on the countertop and does it herself. But um, she was reaching, said, Daddy, can you help me with that? And, you know, in her younger years, I would have gone over. I, I did grab the bowl, just, you know, and, and got it for her. But that's not the idea of paraclete. Okay, but in her younger years, what I would do when my back was in better shape, I would pick her up by her waist and I'd pick her up, and what would she do? She would grab the bowl and then I'd put her back down and she'd be all set. That's the idea of Pericles, enabling someone to do what they cannot do on their own. Now, I want you to also notice that Jesus said that he's sending another Pericles. The word another, which means Jesus is a paraclete himself. He's someone who enables us to do what we cannot do on our own. But the word another in Greek is the word alas, meaning another of the same kind. There is a Greek word heteros, which means another of a different kind, but that's not the word that Jesus uses here. So Jesus is saying, this helper is another like me. In other words, the spirit of truth is also divine. Jesus is introducing the disciples to the third person of the Trinity. As we saw last week, God is one God who exists as three co-equal, co-eternal, mutually indwelling persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a tough theological concept to wrap our heads around. But just as God the Father indwells God the Son and enabled Jesus to do the miraculous works that he did, so the Spirit of God will indwell the disciples and enable them to do the things that they couldn't 
normally do on their own. Back in verse 10, Jesus has said, the Father who dwells in, dwells in me does his works. And now here in verse 17, Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you. He's foreshadowing when the Spirit would come and acts and indwell them. Also implying strongly that the Spirit will empower them. And this leads us to comforting statement number two from Jesus this morning. Read it out loud with me. It's going to be okay because the Spirit will enable you to continue my work. Guys, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. This movement that we've been building for three years now it isn't going to fall apart when I leave. This excitement that we've been creating through the miracles that I performed isn't going to vanish. This anticipation that we've formed regarding my coming kingdom when all things will be made new, this isn't going to fade, guys. It's not all going to fall apart. Why not? Because you 12, actually 11, we lost one, um, Judas, you 11 are going to be the ones to continue my work in the world. And it's actually going to be better for you that I'm going away and also for all the future disciples that you're going to make. It's actually better that I'm going. Why? Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, time out, Jesus. Wait a minute here. What do you mean by this? Greater works than you? Are you kidding me? We can't raise the dead. We can't give sight to the blind. We can't feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, right? Surely, Jesus doesn't mean we're going to somehow upstage him. No. But he does say that his disciples, and then us by extension as his disciples here in the 21st century, will do greater things than he did. What does he have in mind? What does he mean by this? Well, it can't mean greater in quality. It can't mean greater in quality. So it most likely means greater in quantity, greater in quantity. How many disciples did Jesus make? Well, he made 12 close ones, and one of those didn't pan out, right? Um, we also have record of him sending out 72 in, in other accounts in the Gospels. But while he was here in the flesh, he made relatively few disciples who had spread his message. But now let's fast forward. Now, how many disciples have been made through his disciples since then? How many? Millions upon millions upon millions. And not just in that first century Jewish culture, but the gospel has broken through cultural boundaries and now has come even to us in a very different culture some 2,000 years later, and we are followers of Jesus. Jesus was limited by time and space, can only do his work in the lives of those in his immediate proximity. But if, if he indwells his followers, if the Spirit of God indwells believers in Jesus, enabling them to also do the works of the Father, to carry on the works of Jesus in the world, what does that mean? 
It means, my friend, the power of God goes wherever the people of God go. And the potential for multiplication, it's off the charts. You can use your spreadsheet for that. Jesus added disciples, but now through the Spirit indwelling his followers, God's intention is to multiply disciples through each and every one of us. Multiplication, my friends, is greater than addition. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to his disciples and tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised what? What does Jesus tell his disciples to wait for? What promise is he talking about? The Holy Spirit that he's talked about here. Wait here for the promised Holy Spirit. And we read in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power. He indwells the disciples and they get courage and boldness and they go out and start spreading the message and people are taking note. Like, aren't those, those uneducated, ordinary men from Galilee? And they took note that they had been with Jesus. On one side of the Holy Spirit, Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. But once the Holy Spirit comes, what does Peter do? He becomes one of the boldest evangelists. Why? The paraclete, the helper, has come, has indwelt Peter, and is enabling him to do something that he could not do on his own. Jesus' ministry on earth was limited, but the ministry of his disciples not just his original ones, but us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That ministry has been and will continue to be on a grander scale because multiplication is greater than addition. So let's loop back to our vision as a church. Remember what it was, those three statements? One, two, three, say it with me. Reach one, send two, plant three. Can we do this on our own? No. But can the indwelling Spirit of God do this through us? Yes. Absolutely yes. Do you believe this? This is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is quite the promise, isn't it? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, many will read this verse, take it out of its context, and automatically think this is like a blank check, isn't it? Great. If I ask anything in Jesus' name, we've got it. A new house, a new car, a million bucks. All we have to do is ask in his name. So let's just tag in Jesus' name, amen, on the end of our prayers, and voila, we get what we want. But we have to remember the context, okay? The whole context is about the disciples of Jesus continuing the work of Jesus, continuing the work of the Son of God in the world through the power of the Spirit of God. So prayer, my friends, is not meant to be a heavenly complaint department where you can register all of your problems. It's also not meant to be like a vending machine where you can just press F7 and... 
out pops exactly what you want. Nor is it like a genie in a bottle where you get three wishes. No, prayer is primarily meant to be the means by which we align our hearts with the heart of Jesus in fulfillment of the redemptive mission of God in the world. Prayer is one of the means by which we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us through the Spirit so that we are slowly conformed to the image of Jesus and the will of Jesus. Let me, let me approach this from just a different angle to make it a little bit more clear. What does it mean to do something in the name of? For instance, when I say, I'm here in the name of the law, what does that mean? It means I'm here to represent the law's interests and demands, right? So if I pray in the name of Jesus, it means that I pray representing the interests of Jesus. To pray in Jesus' name means that I'm aligning myself with him, trying to think as he would think, trying to feel as he would feel, want what he wants, love what he loves. In other words, prayer is meant to change us so that we start praying prayers like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, rather than my kingdom come, my will be done, if you could help me out with that, God. And when we have this posture, Jesus will delight in answering prayer. He will delight to give us what we ask for. If you ask anything in my name, representing my interests as you continue my work in the world, I will do it. And I'll empower you to do it. I'll lift you up by the waist to get that bowl you can't reach. I love this quote by John Piper. It's from a a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. He says this, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Ouch, but so good. And then there's this one by E. Stanley Jones. Prayer is not pulling God to my will as if we could do that, but aligning, the aligning of my will to the will of God. My friends, the phrase, in Jesus' name, was never meant to be a rote tagline that we dangle on the end of our prayers in hopes of magically getting what we want. But rather, in Jesus' name is meant to characterize the nature of our prayers. That's how we're supposed to pray as we seek to align our will with the will of Jesus in the continuation of his redemptive mission in the world through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So if you stop putting in Jesus' name amen at the end of your prayers, I'm perfectly okay with that. As long as you realize what I'm praying about matters more than the tagline at the end. And as I pray, God, I'm seeking to align my will with yours. That's really praying in Jesus' name. So let's review where we've been so far. The disciples are troubled that Jesus is leaving them. And Jesus is essentially saying, guys, it's actually going to be better that I leave you. And here's a third comforting statement. First two, it's going to be okay because I'm not leaving you to fend for yourselves. It's going to be okay because the Spirit will enable you to continue my work. Here's the third one. Say it out loud with me. It's going to be okay 
because the Spirit will remind you of my commands and enable you to obey them. It's going to be okay because the Spirit will remind you of my commands and enable you to obey them. Where do I get this? Well, let's look back at our text. I want you to notice something that Jesus keeps repeating. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Do you see a theme here? Repetition is key when you're doing Bible study and Jesus is hammering something. He wants his disciples to get it. And as I studied this passage, I saw this repeated over and over again. And I tried to put myself in the sandals of the disciples. How would I feel if I kept hearing Jesus circle back to this and say it again and again and again? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You keep He who keeps my commandments is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You know what I'd be thinking if I were sitting there in the upper room with James and John and Peter and Thaddeus and the rest of the gang? I'd be thinking, oh, snap. I've been following this guy for three years, and I didn't write anything down. That's what I'd be thinking, you know? I don't think I can remember all of his commandments. There's no way I can remember all the things he's told us to do. And then I would likely go towards shame and begin um, beating myself up a little bit. I'm a terrible disciple. I'm a terrible disciple. Hey, Matthew, you said you wanted to write this down later. Can I copy off your notes? I start scrambling, probably breaking out in a cold sweat, thinking, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be a major disappointment to Jesus. Because on a good day, I'm only going to remember a fraction of what he said. And so I can only imagine the collective sigh of relief when Jesus says what he says in verses 25 and 26. Look at that with me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. The spirit who the Father promises to send to you after I leave is going to remind you of everything that I've said. Not only that, he's the paraclete, remember? He's the, he's the helper. He's the enabler. The spirit will teach you. The spirit will also empower you to obey what I've commanded. Fellows, I wasn't joking when I told you, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not expecting you to obey all these commandments on your own and in your own strength. My friends, I will never call you to do something that I won't also empower you to do. There's another helper, one like me, who will enable you. Just as I've enabled you to do things you never thought possible, when I sent you out on these little excursions to cast out demons and to heal people, another helper is coming, like me, who will do the same and enable you to do what you could not do on your own. It's going to be okay. Because the Spirit will remind you of my commands 
and enable you to obey them. Rest. So how exactly does the Spirit of God enable us as disciples of Jesus to live in obedience? Well, you'll have to come back next time to hear about that from next week's passage. But let's close by looking at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe in me. I love how Jesus loves his disciples in this passage. And by extension, loves you and loves me. It's going to be okay. Just believe. Just believe. Let's fast forward 2,000 years from this moment when Jesus spoke these words. Here we sit as 21st century followers of Jesus. Jesus has gone away. He's still preparing a place for his disciples. The world in its present brokenness is not our true home. He's going to return to make all things new. He's promised to come back. We still look forward to that hope. But in the meantime, he intends to continue his work, to continue his redemptive mission in the world through who? Through us, through me, through you. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to indwell us and to empower us to obey the command, his commandments and do that redemptive work, to make more disciples of Jesus where we live, work, learn, and play. Can we reach one, send two, and plant three on our own? Not a chance, not a chance. Can our vision as a church be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. And just as we come to faith through dependence, recognizing that we're sinners in need of a Savior, recognizing that we need Jesus, just as we come to faith, we must continue in the faith with that same attitude of dependence. Lord, we need you. We recognize that we're weak, we're incapable, we can't reach the bowl on the second shelf. We need you to empower us. We need divine enablement. Just as we come to faith, so we continue in it. As the band comes back up, we're going to close with a tangible and corporate expression of our dependence upon Jesus. Ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, believers in him all over the world have gathered in places such like this and in similar formats, sometimes in very different formats. And they've gathered around an expression of what Jesus did in the upper room with his disciples. He was sharing the Passover meal. And in that meal, he took two elements of it and he reinterpreted them. He took the bread and he said, guys, as he broke that unleavened bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after the meal and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, drink it 
in remembrance of me. He was foreshadowing what he's going to do the very next day when he went to the cross. He was foreshadowing that he was going to do for his disciples and for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is take care of our sin problem. He was the only one who lived a righteous life. No other person in history has lived a righteous life. Only Jesus. And so every other person needs who? Needs, the right, needs Jesus and his righteousness. And when we put our faith in Jesus, a marvelous transaction takes place. Our sin, our brokenness is exchanged for the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The paraclete enables helps us do what we could not do for ourselves, and that's reach the Father. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. My friends, I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. I'm the paraclete. I'm the helper. We're going to close this morning with communion. All of you have a, a little cup and wafer and a prepackaged thing on your chairs. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to partake. If you're not, feel, we just ask you to just, just leave it there. Nobody's going to judge you for not taking, taking place or taking um, part in this part of our service, our worship service. But if you're a believer in Jesus who's, who's placed your faith in the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus on your behalf, Brett and the team are going to lead us in a closing song. And as we sing, I'm not going to uh, prompt you to, to take the elements. You can do that on your own. You can do it before we start singing, as we're singing, right after we sing. But on your own, take that little wafer, drink the cup, and remember what Jesus did for you that you could not do for yourself. Independence. Acknowledge that you need him. And let it serve as a reminder that we still need divine enablement. We come to faith through dependence. We continue in the faith, living in dependence.